And I'd like to, before we even read the chapter, Yannick, if you have that ready, I'd like to just uh, show a few things to get your mind aware of our context, uh, what we're looking at, and then we're going to teach something special out of this passage that it's been helpful to me. I hope it's helpful to you. First Kings chapter 5, and then we'll read it. We'll read the whole chapter in just a minute. It's just 18 verses there. And again, so we are looking in the, the book of Kings and First 11 chapters deal with an amazing king, Solomon. Um, and so here's what we'll do. Let's just kind of step back and see the big picture about this King Solomon. Again, he's the third king in Israel and <clears throat> unique uh, man. Um, many pluses, a few very distinct minuses that we'll get to. But let's look at, I don't know what he looked like. I'm just giving you a picture, okay? So, you know, uh, that looks a little bit European to me, but, yeah, you know. <laughs> so, like, you know, these blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesuses in yeah. these kids' books just don't cut it for me, you know. <laughs> but anyways, he's, he, that's a little bit European, but, hey, it's a king. And so Solomon's life, 1 Kings chapters 1 through 11, here's an overview of it. What is it really telling us in the big picture? This is kind of like the table of contact, contents of him in that part. You see in the first four chapters, I could break it down more than that, but the first four chapters, he's basically coming to power and getting settled in. All right? And we've been, that's where we've been going through. And his prayer for wisdom and all that. Then this really takes up quite a bit. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, five chapters about this construction project. Talks about his planning, talks about all the materials that he has, and all the details of what's in the uh, on the outside and the inside of the temple, and then building his own house, and then uh, his prayer, long prayer of dedication, and then God's response, and then the finances, actually, his payments he had to make that were still catching up with uh, finishing this project. And then half of chapter 10, we see his critical proving. The coming to power of construction products is critical proving. This lady from uh, far away, Queen of Sheba comes and says, I want to check this guy out, see if he's all that he's wrapped up, all, he, all that they say he is. She critically tries to prove him, and it's a really cool story. And then the rest of the chapter, we see his collective prophets, and that's where the last part of chapter 10 is really cool. You see how just incredibly wealthy this guy was. I mean, liberals would absolutely hate it and say, we need to spread the wealth around. That definitely would. <laughs> An American liberal would hate that. But anyways... Um, he's incredibly wealthy, and it's, 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 just, it's just cool to look at, even if you're not wealthy. Like, look at all that money. Look at all that stuff. Now, some things he shouldn't have had, but anyways, we'll get to that. And then chapter 11 is a very serious chapter where you see his, his problems, and they're compounding problems. He starts one problem multiplying unto him wives, and it compounds into something else, and then something else, and then God responds to him by sending him an adversary and another, and it just, you got to watch out when you begin to sin, if you don't correct it right away, it'll compound. Remember that. And that's what happens with him. And the end of his life is not that pretty. Uh, it's not pretty at all. And so just an overview of his life, a lot of, a lot of stuff right here. We'll, we'll try to at least give you a good feel for it beginning tonight in chapter 5 where the theme is. So let's go quick. Let me do a quick couple quick pictures. Next. Go to the next one, Yannick. Um, the next picture is, again, just as an idea, giving you an idea of his construction projects. It was the temple. I don't know what this is. I'm not sure if that really was the case, but it was at least this tall. A glorious temple, had a huge 
court around it. I mean, it was a really neat place to go to. And then an inner court, and then a holy place, holy of holy, a lot of neat things there. And then there was the, his house, his porch and throne, the house of the forest of Lebanon, uh, the house for Pharaoh's daughter, and all these other construction projects. And they were really uh, high quality and really unique. So that's what he's developing in chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. He's developing this stuff. And I, go to the next picture. Again, just giving you the gist, a quick glance at what would be the temple uh, a little closer. There was this huge basin. This was a gigantic, like, bath uh, he had made, a brazen altar. Here's a, kind of the court area. Here's an idea, just a general idea of the temple itself on the outside. We'll probably look at more details of it another time. It was immaculate, gold-plated stuff on the inside. It's a, there's a, if you have any knowledge of construction, you read it, you would really appreciate what's happening and how it's built. Uh, there's a lot of neat things there. All right, so here, but here's what we're going to look at tonight. Even though there's several points, I'm going to try to be swift. Go ahead and go to the next one. So here's the thing. I'll tell you exactly what we're doing. There's a principle in chapter 5, and the principle is what we see up here. In order to build well, one must prepare well. It's a principle in the Bible. Jesus spoke of it. Solomon exemplifies it here. Solomon spoke of it in his Proverbs. If you want to build well, you want to do something well, you have to take time and prepare yourself well. That's the principle. That's the big picture of the message. And then we, the question for us is, well, how does Solomon prepare? And here's some highlights of how he prepares, and I'll try to uh, be swift and, and clear on that. But first, let's just read the chapter, and then we'll make mention of, of some of these points. 1 Kings 5, 1 through 18. Preparations for building. Hiram and Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants unto Solomon, for he had heard that they had anointed him king in the room of his father. For Hiram, Hiram was ever a lover of David. And Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, Thou knowest not build an house unto the name of the Lord his God, for the wars were about him on every side, until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God hath given me rest on every side, so that there is neither adversary nor evil occurrent. And behold, I purpose to build an house unto the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spake unto David my father, saying, Thy son, whom I will set upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build an house unto my name. Now therefore command thou that they hew me cedar trees out of Lebanon. And my servants shall be with thy servants, and unto thee will I give hire for thy servants according to all that thou shalt appoint. For thou knowest that there is not among, any, uh, there is not among us any that can skill to hew timber like unto the Sidonians." And it came to pass when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, which hath given unto David a wise son over this great people. And Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have considered the things which thou sentest to me for, and I will do all thy desire concerning, the, concerning timber of cedar and concerning timber of fir. My servants shall bring them down from Lebanon unto the sea, and I will convey them by sea in floats unto the place that thou shalt appoint me. And I will cause them to be discharged there, and thou shalt receive them. 
and thou shalt accomplish my desire in giving food for my household. So Hiram gave Solomon cedar trees and fir trees according to all his desire. And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 measures of wheat for food to his household and 20 measures of pure oil. Thus gave Solomon to Hiram year by year. And the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and they two made a league together. And King Solomon raised a levy out of all Israel, and the levy was 30,000 men. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month by courses. A month they were in Lebanon and two months at home. And Adoniram was over the levy. And Solomon had threescore and ten thousand that bear burdens. And fourscore thousand hewers in the mountains. Beside the chief of Solomon's officers, which were over the work, three thousand and three hundred, which ruled over the people that wrought in the work. And the king commanded, and they brought great stones, costly stones and hewed stones to lay the foundation of the house. And Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders did hew them and the stone squarers. So they prepared timber and stones to build the house. One of the things that I've found, and some of you, I hope you can relate with this, is that um, I've been doing a little bit of painting at my house on the inside. And, you know, we've painted here, we've painted inside here, we've painted outside here. One of the things I find that when somebody wants to help you paint, they're like, hey, I'll help you roll some paint. I know how to roll paint. You know, you think, you're going to paint your house? I'll help you paint. We're going to paint at the church? Yeah, I'll help you paint. I know how to roll. And most of the time, that's good if you know how to roll like that. But typically, like if, we were to, if I were to just shoot from the hip right now and make a guess, if we were to, this, this, by the way, this looks pretty good. If we were to paint just this inside part right now, if I were to just shoot from the hip, I would say, you know, it doesn't need it, but let's just say it needed it. Probably about <clears throat> maybe uh, maybe five-hour job. And what you do is probably an hour, you move all the chairs and start vacuuming the baseboards and clean up. You don't want dust by there. Then brush off the corner, the any cobwebs in there. Then wipe the walls. And then, of course, you'd have to move the, you'd have to remove the, um, all the, the pictures and stuff, maybe about an hour up to that point. And then you got to go around, you got to, you know, hit, get some mud spots and fill in some areas with some, um, you know, compound, joint compound repair or whatever, go around, do that. And then you'd have to look at some spots you might need to do some caulking with, you know, that, that comes up. You might even have to repair a few of the baseboards. You'd probably, you might have to remove some, remove some of these also and maybe mask that or remove that and hinges and things like that. And then, um, oh, then you gotta, then you got to tape, you know, tape, tape down around the baseboards, throw a piece of, probably a piece of paper, then throw down your, your uh, other plastic or your throw down rags or p- blankets. Um, and then you got to go back and when those, those drywalls or those uh, joint compound repair parts, spots dry, then you go sand those down, see if they need it again and brush it off. And, and at that point, you've probably got three, four hours maybe. For this whole room and then you're like oh okay then you got to set up your table somewhere outside and get your table set up i i do we gotta do it outside most of the time 
and put a thing over the table, put plastic tarp under the table because you don't want to drip it on the concrete, you don't want to drip it on the table. Then you get all your the rest of your supplies out, your paint, your rollers, your pan, um, all that stuff, checking it over. And then you got to make sure, do I even have the paint? Got to make sure I have the paint, you know? And then you, okay, let's do this. Oh, wait a minute, I got to cut in. I got to cut. Wow. Cutting in is like, tra you know, when you kids color paper, usually trace around. You have to kind of trace around. Let's just say we're painting this a little darker, especially. It's called cutting in. You actually have to go take a brush usually and you brush to the corners like that. And then you go, it's like tracing. And then you got to cut in down here a little bit. That would probably take you two hours to cut in this whole thing. So we're already up to what, maybe five hours. And then it's time to roll. Time to roll, man. And rolling's easy. Roll it. Roll it. Let it dry a little bit. Do a second coat. Roll it. You know, it's all cut in. It's all prepared. It's all masked. You can drip on stuff. You look like you're really a pro if you came in to roll. But all the work was the preparation. It's easy to roll. It's easy. Same thing with painting cars. My dad and I ran a shop. Painting a car is like 5% of the time. Not, maybe not even that. If we did a full paint job on a car, actually, Going into a paint booth and going is maybe 5% of the time that we worked on that car for the paint job. But there was so much thought and diligence and preparation and work and movements and, and making sure you have supplies and making sure that, and then the paint part's like, all right, paint it. You still have to have skill, you have to have good product, you have to have right temperatures and tools and all that. But so with this temple, Solomon's like, we're going to build the house of God. He knew he was called to build God's house. But he spends all this time preparing, you know? And that's because in life, to do something well, you have to prepare well. Um, how many of anybody in here, just let's just chat with each other. I know like my son Noah has been asking me, Dad, let's build a, a fort or something in the backyard, a, a playhouse. And I was like, but I, and it's been hard for me to follow up on that request, you know? I'd like to build. He's wanting to build. Noah wants to build. Maybe there'll be a ship one day, but he likes to build. He really does, and he's very uh, construction-minded, so he likes to build. Anybody else like to build stuff? Raise your hand. Kids, or Josh, yeah, I know you do. Rusty does. He's doing it, you know. Yannick, all right. Yeah, Seamus, Andrew, okay. Anybody ever want to build your own house one day, you know? Yeah, be cool. We had a guy in our church, uh, Wes Wells, the Wells family, he built his first house for he and Tammy when they first got married. He built it. It was in Idaho. He built his first house. And, he, of course, he learned how to do that in, in New Guinea from his dad when they had to build stuff. But it's neat to build. But, but I tell you what, it takes so much time. Even like I might even mention a little bit about our, the building plan we had. It took so much time even just to think through that and then have an architect put it out on paper. And if we follow through with that one plan we had, it would still take a lot of time to do the groundwork and all that stuff, but it would be necessary if it'd be done right. So how does Solomon, so there's things in our life, so let me just tie it back to us. There's things in our life, it's kind of a twofold thing. There's things in your life, you may literally want to build something structurally one day. Then this is some lessons here. You may literally, you wanna build, maybe you wanna build it not structurally, but more organizationally something someday. There's lessons here for you. And even spiritually, there's lessons here about building. These are building lessons, and the key issue is preparing. So let's go through this. Number one, Solomon wisely builds. God loves, God commends this house. People love it, this house. It becomes glorious. 
And the first thing we see is this is important. Number one, we see that Solomon has secured adequate funding and supplies. Oh, man, i got to have money. That's right. That's right. Even if you don't have money, you at least need to secure a loan and you know, chain yourself to a mortgage company, at least, right? you got to secure adequate funding and supplies. So chapter 4, again, we're not going to look at all these passages, but chapter 4, I'll mention it. Verses 20 to 25 say that people were already coming into Israel, giving gifts to Solomon, like, oh, you're awesome, so wise, and people were giving him stuff from all over the place. Later, it, we don't know if it was that much later in time, but in chapter 10, it tells about how so much gold was coming in every year. I don't, I didn't, I don't have the numbers in my mind, but it was just tons of gold was coming in every year. So if you have an income coming in, that justifies you building something. If you don't, this is a really simple principle that Americans need to know. I think we know it in here, but it's just a simple principle. I can't go financing something if I don't have finances. Now, it's becoming, that's becoming something that's not normal, where especially there's a, just a weird liberal mindset, like you deserve to have something. You should have something even if you don't have something. You should have things even if you're not working for it. No. God's way is start working, start generating an income, then go build your house. There's a proverb that says that. Make it fit for yourself in the field, generate your income, and then start building your house. Solomon said that in one of the Proverbs. Adequate funding. Jesus spoke about this. He said in Luke 14 about, you know, which of you in, intending to build a tower doesn't time out, say time out. Well, hold on a second. Let's sit down, get our calculators and stuff, looking up supplies, looking up uh, labor costs. And first, sit down and count the cost, whether he has sufficient to build it, lest he gets excited and he starts building this tower, this building, and he's excited. He gets halfway through. He's like, man, I don't have enough money. guess I'm going to have to stop. And then everybody passes by and says, that guy got halfway through that building, didn't finish. Ha <laughs> ha! What's wrong with you? Don't you know how to count? You know? And that's what he, Jesus said would happen. If a guy doesn't stop and sit down and say, can I carry this out? Even if, it's a, even if loaned is part of it. Can I carry this out? Do I have the finances to see this through? And that was part of our issue when we had a plan that we presented in 2019, we, got, we probably had half the money, the total cash cost raised for it. And then after 2019, that plan that we had, the COVID and all kinds of stuff, that, that cost, I won't give numbers right now, but that cost that we showed you that we already had about half for doubled. So it put it way out of reach for us. So it became something where it's like, should I keep reaching for this or what? And so there's a couple ideas I have uh, that, um, that would, be, would involve maybe just building an attached auditorium to this, and there's a couple of ways we might could save money. But anyways, that's another story. But the whole idea is we can't move forward on something if, it, if you don't have justified funding. Another thing about David, or about Solomon, so he secures adequate funding and supplies. You know what's really cool about this? About this? Before this chapter, guess what his dad had already done for him? What? Yeah, David was like, man, I want to build God's house too. And God said, no, no, David, you're excited about it. And it's good. It's, it's good that it was in your heart that you wanted to do that. But, you know, you're not the guy. You've got a hands, hands full of blood, and it's just not going to go over well. And you're even busy. See, there's another war. You better go get at it. You're even busy in war right now. You're not going to do it. I promise you, your son will. So David's like, okay. Well, God, you've been good to me anyways. And so David starts some of the spoils of his war. He starts laying them aside, the, 
more timber and maybe costly stones and gold and silver and all that. He started stockpiling. He didn't get it all done, but he started stockpiling. He wanted to have a part in this. And Solomon comes on the scene. He, takes, he sees dad's stockpile of things. And now he begins, and we'll see this, he begins to communicate with this other man, his father's friend, about continuing that. And so Solomon could justify moving forward because he says, first of all, okay, we got the finances. We can start this. We already got some supplies going. Let's move forward on this. So the second thing is he consults with his father's friend. Now, some of you might read that and be like, yeah, so what? Why is that so spiritual? Solomon consults with his father, David's friend, Hiram. Look what it says. There's a spiritual principle in this. Verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon. He heard that they had anointed him king in his room of his father. Hiram loved David, the Bible says. And so Solomon communicates back. Look at verse 2. Solomon sent to Hiram. So, so here it is. So let's imagine Hiram, king of Tyre, David. These guys made a friendship. They were at peace with one another. Who knows, Hiram, maybe he became a what would be the equivalent of an Old Testament Christian. I don't know. But there was definitely some safe, healthy friendship there, at least from a kingly standpoint, and even some business relationship. And so when David's off the scene and Solomon steps up, and Solomon's king, Hiram says, hey, he starts communicating with him. And Solomon communicates back. Now, what Solomon does is what he says people should do in one of his own Proverbs. Look what it says. Hold your place. Look what it says in Proverbs 27.10. There's an interesting proverb that Solomon himself says. And it says here, Proverbs 27.10. Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not. Neither go into thy brother's house in the day of thy calamity. For better is a neighbor that is near than a brother afar off. He's saying there, it's kind of a few thoughts, but one of the things he's saying is, if your dad has a good proven friend, don't throw that off. Go, it's not, it's not bad to say this, right on the coattails of that. Don't forsake your dad's friends. You know, assuming they're good, assuming it's healthy, assuming they're a proven friend. He says it's better to have that kind of guy than some brother that you can't even hardly contact anywhere. Appreciate your dad's friends. Having a good, uh, a well-proven family friend is very valuable. So what does Solomon do? He's like, this guy was good friends with my dad. I'm going to work with this. Now let's pause a second. Solomon had a son named what? Rehoboam. When Rehoboam came in power and Solomon was dead, Rehoboam did not take that advice had some of Solomon's men that worked with him that we could say were friendly with his dad, and he dismissed them and said, I'm going I'm to go with all the advice of my chums, my, my buddies that are so wise. They weren't. And, it, and he fumbled as a king. He didn't appreciate his father's friends. He should have. That was Solomon's son, Rehoboam. But here's Solomon. He's doing the wise thing. So here's the deal. He's going, he's, so here's the deal. What's so big about Hiram? So what? Solomon's rich. He's wealthy. Well, hey, wait a minute. This guy has some of the best craftsmen around. He has some of the best building material around, and he's already got a friendship with them. Do not forsake that. You know, right now, it's sometimes we have the worst weird thing in the United States. Sometimes it's hard to find supplies. 
we went through this up and down and there's still this thing of the supply chain thing. It's hard sometimes to find the supplies or the right supplies. So Solomon's like, hey, I, the supplies are there. The, 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 the forest of Lebanon, the, the trees there, the, uh, the cedar trees, that is that's good wood. And this guy's got a bunch of it. And he's got the best uh, uh, limber, uh, tr- uh, lumber, right? Like these guys. And so Solomon's like, I'm going to take, I'm gonna, we're going to work with that. My dad has some, when our, when our business that we ran, we had some guys who I would say are customers, but they're also kind of friendly with my dad. I wrote some of their names down right there. I'm looking at it. And I thought, you know what? I remember I called that guy up to help us with something here on a plumbing. I called a couple times. Actually, a couple times. There was a plumber that helped us three times, his company. And one of the times we really, really needed it. He was very friendly, very quick. And I felt like he looked at me as favorable because he liked my dad who was favorable to him. And there's another guy, I'm going to call this next week, about a building idea, and his dad, he and I were kind of friends, and he was a friend with my dad, and his dad was a friend with my dad, and he's a builder, <laughs> this guy I'm looking at. And he does, um, he does uh, residential, but he does small you know, commercial too, and I'm like, I'm going to contact this guy. And there's another guy, I'm thinking, I'm not going to leave off my dad's friends. I'm going to see if I can do something with this, like Solomon. We're not building a gold-plated temple, but maybe we could just get a, you know, an auditorium attached. So here's thine own, he consults his father's friend. Number three, he finds a season to focus. If you read the text there, it says that Solomon communicates. He says, hey, Hiram, good to meet you, good to talk with you, etc., etc. You knew that my dad wanted to build a house. He couldn't build a house for God because, man, he was always busy fighting. There was no peace. He didn't have time with it. You know, he'd have to start nailing something to a wall. Then he'd have to stop and go nail some man to a wall because he's fighting wars, you know. He says, my dad was so busy in war. But now, he says, he's communicating. Solomon's saying this to Hiram. Now God gave us peace. All those wars my dad, my dad fought, he won the peace for me. I'm a man of peace. I'm just here. There's no adversary or evil occurring. We're good. So I have a season I can focus on this. Isn't it like that? How many of you have projects you want to do, but man, you're just too busy? Come on, everybody. And guys, if you're not raising your hand, your wife's going to go, you do have a project, remember? (laughs) Sometimes it's like that. You have a significant project, like, I want to get to that. I want to buy the shed. I want to build the shed. I I want to remodel, whatever. And you're like, as soon as I get this, this, and this done, then I can focus on it. That's where Solomon's at. He's like, I'm not going to get into this major building project that is for God. If I'm well, I'm still trying to fight wars, and so God gave him peace. Uh, it was a season of peace. Number four, we'll move along here. This is really good. As we learn of his preparation, within his preparation, he clearly states his purpose. He clearly states, "I'm building a house." Now, watch this. This is cool. Why are you building a house of God? Look at verse three. Thou knowest how that David. My father could not build a house unto the name of the Lord, his God for the wars. Verse 5, verse 5, and behold, I purpose to build a house, what does it say? Unto the name of the Lord, my God, as the Lord spake unto David, my father, saying, thy son will do it. What is he saying? His purpose 
in building his house, it's, it's kind of twofold. It is for God, but watch this. He's building a house of God for what? For the, the name of God. Not God really needed a kind of a cozy little spot to rest. No. Remember what we said this morning? In chapter 8, Solomon, after he's done, he says, am I really going to build the place for you to stay? You can't even stay in heaven. You, wouldn't, you can't even stay in the heaven of heavens. Who can contain you, he says. So he says it this way, and it's said multiple times, I assure you, chapter 8, several times in chapter 8, he says, this house is a house for the name of God. It's displaying his reputation. Now, don't get me wrong. He said his presence, an aspect of his presence was there. It manifested itself in the Holy of Holies. But can he be contained? No way. That's good purpose statement. This is to project God's name, God's reputation, God's word even. That's my purpose, he's saying. By the way, the pagans in his day and even now, they think, oh, no, no, God, our God, this is his place of residence. You know, even if we were to build, even if an immaculate Baptist church building, look, God is no more in that building than he's here or if, with us if we were in a tent somewhere. You, you can't get too spooky about this. And so he's saying, this is my purpose. It's to, it's to project God's name because he's grander than containing, even con, being contained to a glorious building like this. All right, so that's what we learn. If you... If we were to ever do something, so apply that to you and I. And this is good for me. If you go to build a business, what is the purpose of that business? If we go to build a building, I've had two architects, I'm so glad they asked me this. Like, what, what, did you, what do you want? What, what's, this, what's the purpose for this? What do you want to do in here? And I thought, that's a good question. And it made me think, kind of refine it. Like, wait a minute, really what? Okay, and I started envisioning, okay, this is what we need to do in here as I project us a certain size growing. He, he, these architects are saying, what's your purpose for this? Because that will dictate what they design for us. If you were to uh, embark on anything, say, what is, where's this going? What is my purpose? Because sometimes it's, I know there's something exciting about, hey, let's just go do something and we'll, we'll, we'll think as we go. That's, you don't want to do stuff like that when there's a lot of money involved. Okay, so he clearly states his purpose. Number five, he employs quality craftsmen. These guys are cool. Look at this. Chapter 5, verse 6, uh, Solomon's complimenting Hiram's workers. He says, Now therefore command thou that they hew me cedar trees out of Lebanon, and my servants shall be with thy servants, and unto thee will I give hire for thy servants. I'm going to pay them good, according to all that thou shalt appoint. For thou knowest that there is not among us any that can skill to hew timber like unto the Sidonians. So he is saying, boy, you, your guys, I want to I wanna, I wanna, I wanna employ your guys there. They know, he says, you're Sidonians, you know that we don't have the guys that can do this, and you know that you do, and you know that your guys are like the best. They know what, has anybody ever seen, do you know in Tennessee there's an area called the Forest of Lebanon? How many of you knew that? My wife and I went to an area in Tennessee, and I'm like, I want to go see this. And it was literally a little, it, it just reminded me a little bit kind of a pine type, but it was cedar trees. And they called it the Forest of Lebanon. And there was a whole area where it was a lot of cedar trees. And I, it was really nice. My wife and I pulled aside, found a place to park, and we just kind of hiked through the woods. It was pretty neat. 
So we got to see some cedar trees, and I took some pictures. And they're not like gigantic sequoias. They're just a, 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 a the ones we saw were a moderately sized cedar tree. Now, perhaps here in Lebanon, it could have been gigantic. Uh, perhaps they were. But the point is, Solomon's saying, I want to get these guys, workers, to work for me because they know what trees to pick out, when to cut them. You know, I didn't realize you don't just cut a tree anytime. I mean, I would just be hacking. I like cutting. No, this isn't the time of year yet, you know. They, they knew what tree to cut, when to cut it, how to fell it, you know, the certain way, how to, uh, you know, debark it, whatever else they're doing. I think they call it uh, bucking it, where you're trimming it and putting it in planks, how to treat the wood after it's cut down. There's a lot to this, this logging thing how to treat the wood afterwards, and then how to prepare it and trans to transport. He says, your guys know how to do that. I want those guys working for me. And that's, that's how it is in, in life. Now, I know that, so the idea is like, how does that relate with me? When we do something, you have, we're going to pay somebody, make sure, try to see if you can have somebody that knows what they're doing, you know. One of these, what is it, one of these AC companies, they're like, don't hire a Melvin, you know. The guy that's just, the guy that, you know, doesn't know how to, do the ACs, and, and it's good advice. Like, wait, does this guy know what he's doing? And does this company have competent people that can skill to fix my AC? And that's just a good thing in life, you know? It's same thing with um, uh, just even hiring somebody to work for you. Do you really, I see your resume, it's pretty impressive, but let's go see how you really work, you know? And so uh, he, he employs quality craftsmen. Number six, couple more points. He establishes a clearly understood agreement. He's a kind of a, I, I think this is like a contract here. Chapter uh, 5, he be, Hiram's all excited. He's happy that, that Solomon, that David has such a wise son. And he says, you know, this is wonderful. And so he says, I, I, uh, I, I think we'll do this. We'll work together. Look at verse 9. My servants shall bring them down, the wood down from Lebanon into the sea. I will convey them by sea and floats unto the place that thou shalt appoint for me and will cause them to be discharged there. Thou shalt receive them. And thou shalt accomplish my desire in giving me food for my household. So Hiram gave Solomon cedar trees and fir trees according to all his desire. And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 measures of wheat for food to his household and 20 measures of pure oil. Thus gave Solomon to Hiram year by year. So this is a real simple thing. And it works in a lot of things. Is that clear communication. This is what I want. Can you do that? Yes, I can. This is what I will pay you. Are you satisfied with that? Yes, I am. I will do this for you, and you will pay me this much. Yes? Yes. Okay, let's do it. And that's what you see. It's clear communication. Have you ever had that happen? Like with somebody, you go to, okay, we're going to, oh, you know, you get a service call for, for something at your house. Okay, wait a minute. How much is that? Be very clear how much your service call is, please. I'm not telling you not to charge me. I just want to know exactly what it is before I consent. Okay, $100? Well, maybe. Let me think, talk to my wife. Okay, let's do it. You know? And so what I'm saying is clear communication before you engage somebody. Now, this is something big. This is a big, this is like a contract thing. In their case, it's, it's, it's said in this verse, uh, in verse uh, 12, it says, The Lord gave Solomon wisdom, as he promised him, and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and they two made a league together. Now, the implication there is like, we're not going to fight with each other. We're going to be at peace. And then, but, but within that, it's saying, hey, we have an agreement also of what we're going to share. 
you're going to give me the wood. You're going to meet me at this place on the coast. I'm going to pick it up. And that, those same ships you have, we're going, to, we're going to have grain for you. You're going to put it right on those ships where you took out the wood. There's a space now. We're going to put all your grain. You're going to like the Israeli wheat. And it has a lot of gluten in it probably. But it's the good kind, right, you know? You know, ancient gluten's better for you, right? Yeah. Yeah, the ancient grains thing. I always see that on the, I'm like, I, that's funny, on a side note. I go, into the, I go into the grocery store, and I see these cereals, and it's like ancient grains. I'm like, ancient grains? <laughs> I'm like, what did they find Joseph's silos in Egypt and find... <laughs> You know, pull out some grain, like, yeah, ancient grain. Anyways, but anyway, so, so there's this good deal. So here's the, here's the point. Here's the point on this. So they have like a contract, an understood agreement, and, it's in, and each side likes it. It's like this. Here's Solomon. Hey, we got some wheat fields, man. We got some bread. Up there in your mountainous region, you're, not able, you're just not able to pull it off, I guess, or on the coast. But we don't have the workers and we don't have the wood. And he's saying the same thing. You know, I got a lot of workers and I got some wood, but, man, we're hungry all the time. My, my, my household, my, perhaps that extends to his administration, we'd like some more food. You know, we're tired of chewing on pine nuts or something. I don't know what it is, but... Or, or, or they were fishermen. They did, they did fish. That was a coastal thing for them. So he says, man, I'd sure like to have some food from y'all's place. And, and uh, yeah, we'd like... And so it was like a great thing. It worked together. My brother-in-law, David, who you many of you know, he's... he's uh, um, and I were best friends as we grew up. So <clears throat> when David, uh, one of his, his, early, his early jobs, his early trades was painting. Painting houses. He worked for, I think it was, what is it, A&K? No. Yeah, A&K painting. And um, uh, in college and a little in his early years of marriage. And so Dave painted inside, outside of houses. And he did a pretty, pretty good job. And then I painted cars. And so... One of, these day, one of these times we were chatting and he's like, he had this little Nissan truck and it needed to be painted and, and it wasn't that big of a truck. And I had a house, I lived in Chandler at the time. We had an 1,100 square foot house in Chandler, um, little house there, and uh, it needed to be painted. My house needed to be painted, Dave's truck needed to be painted, and I'm like, I wasn't in the mood to do house painting. I probably could figure it out, and, but it would take me longer then if Dave did it, he was already in the rhythm of doing it all the time. And Dave was not going to try to paint his car, his truck, rather. He's, he's interested. So we just had this talk one time, like, you know what? We kind of figured out the work hours of, of him painting the house, the labor hours, and I figured the labor hours of me painting his truck, and it was about equal. So what we said was, I said, Dave, I'll buy the paint material for my house and all the material, and I'll just, I'll give you the money. How much was that material? I'll give you the money for that. You take that and buy your material and do the labor. And then for you, you buy the, I'll tell you what the material cost for painting your truck is. You give me that money, we'll buy it, and I'll do it. And it wasn't even, the, the labor was even. I don't know if the materials cost was. And it worked out perfectly. We're happy with it. And so, you know, we had, but we made a clear agreement on that. And that's important in life, especially in financial stuff that you're dealing with, and to just say, okay, what are you expecting? And this is what I am expecting. And be very clear on it. We just changed insurance and it was a really good company by the way if anybody wanted to know afterwards and we're getting less on our and it's not Geico um it's not actually leaving that ways it's um it's um there's another and we're house and car and we're saving some money and but I kept asking this guy I, kept, I met with him so are you telling me that if I have this this and this it's going to be this yeah yeah 
And I just kept asking him, making sure it's clear before we went forward, and it's working out. So anyway, so preparation. The last thing is, and there's more actually to this, but prepare. If you're going to do a building project, if we're going to do some kind of significant business project that you just can't do all yourself, the second thing, or the last thing was that it'd be good to install competent management. Solomon has a huge uh, project here, and he's not going to be out there with a hard hat uh, snooping around in the forest of Lebanon. He probably, maybe if you wanted to tour it, but he's not going to be trying to run everything. He's not. This guy has like, look what he has. I mean, he had like 10,000 workers, um, verse 14, that were doing this one month on, two month off working, worker working. And then verse 15 says he had more. He had 70,000 that just carried burdens. Guys, there was probably young guys. Young guys just want to pick up stuff. I'll pick that up for you. That's probably 70,000 guys between the age 15 and 25 that just want to pick up stuff and flex. Um, I'm just guessing on that. I don't know if it's in the Hebrew, but it's uh, verse 15. Solomon had three score and 10,000 that bear burdens. And then look what it says. He had four score thousand, 80,000 hewers in the mountains. These are guys that are lumberjacks. I just want to cut stuff, man. Now, they had to work with the, the guys who knew what they were doing, the, um, the Sidonians of Hiram. And I don't know if it even included them. But anyways, they're working together. But <laughs> this is one thing. <laughs> you get a bunch of people that want to work. That's cool. But wait a minute. You got to manage this, right? You got to manage this thing. So look at, look, at his, look at his management, upper management, middle management. He had a guy, verse 14, that was over the whole recruiting of workers at an Iram. And then verse... Um, 16, here it is. Beside the chief of Solomon's officers, which were over the work, 3,300, which ruled over the people that wrought in the work. So it's probably like a middle management guys that are going over there. Keep Can you imagine that? Uh, we're going to have a staff meeting yeah. of all my leaders. Uh, we're going to need a stadium for that, Solomon. All right, build one real quick. No. No, 3,000, he had 3,000 of his leaders. So he has adequate management, a project manager and a man, labor manager here, um, labor managers, I should say, working in shifts. And so here you have Solomon wisely. He's going to build, but first he takes time to prepare. Is there something in your life that you need to take a little bit more time to prepare before you do? Again, this is everything we're going to read of Solomon is like gigantic, so it's not like we're going to equate equate him. But even if it's something small, you need to take a little more time to get a few more estimates, a little more time to check out your business plan, a little more time on maybe some school thing. It's wise to take time to prepare. That's what Solomon shows us. But I want to tell you one thing. I just had a thought, just thinking about the Lord. You know, it talks about. Look at this last thing. We'll try verse 17 and 18. Look what it says. And this is this is fascinating. And I don't have time to go into it, but look what it says. The king commanded they brought great stones, costly stones, and huge stones. To what? Lay the foundation of the house. And it says they did it. They hewed them in the stone squarers. They prepared the timber. They prepared timber and stones to build the house. I don't know, and again, you could go into it historically, but can you imagine that? Gigantic, I don't know how big they were. Big old stones, 
squared. They're stone squares. That, there's an art to that, getting them perfectly squared. And what was this? It, it, it looks like this is something that was very highly skilled. It was costly. Watch this. It was costly. It was heavy. Um, it was precisely made. And guess what? Probably never even saw it. Or you may only saw a little bit of it at best because they're foundation. And then he took time to just get these solid blocks down. And, and I thought about this. You know, some of the most important things in our spiritual life, in our character, are things that are deep and unseen that God's trying to develop. Heavy, costly, and usually not seen. But they're, they're foundational to your spiritual character and holding up everything else that everybody else sees. That's how Jesus works. Um, Spurgeon, I'll read what he said. Listen to this quote. He's on this, commenting on this. He said, uh, This passage speaks to the way God works in us. He works in deep and hidden things when others are concerned with mere appearances. He says, We have been the subjects of a great deal of secret, unseen, underground work. The Lord has spent upon us a world of care. My brother, you would not like to unveil those great searchings of heart of which you have been subject. You have been honored in public, and if so, you have had a many, and if so, you have had many a whipping behind the door, lest you should glory in your flesh. All those chastenings, humblings, and searchings of heart have been a private laying of foundations for higher things. He also says, to maintain solid truth, you need solid people. Vital godliness is therefore to be aimed at. 20,000 people, all merely professing faith, but having no energetic life, may not have enough grace, may not have grace enough among them to make 20 solid believers. Poor, sickly believers turn the church into an hospital rather than a camp. And so that's good. He said in commentary on spiritually how this applies to us. But then again, to back up and to end is like, how, are we, how do we prepare? And it's made me think about even preparing a different angle on even our own building idea 